0: So, today you got Andy Dirk and Brent Kimnitz. You already know Brent Kimnitz. He's the winningest pitching coach of all time in Division I baseball. He's uh, a little bit quirky, but we love him. More knowledge than anybody probably on planet Earth when it comes to uh, the mental side of baseball. That's why we absolutely have to have him as part of our team. Brent, today today, I think a good topic of discussion is going to be technology and baseball, I love it. Technology. How does now the this game has been played for over what 120 years easily? Yeah, over 120 years, and really,
1: I went to high. I went to high school with Abner Doubleday. Yeah, just just know that he was a senior when I was a freshman. So well over a hundred years ago.
0: Well over a hundred years ago, Brent was playing baseball, throwing his weird left-handed stuff up there that nobody Nobody. had ever seen before. Uh, At the end of the day, a lot of these kids now, Brent, are getting taught situations. Like, what I was taught to be a baseball player. Where I came from, what I was doing, you wanted to be a really good baseball player. Now what guys are trying to do is become really, really good, like, uh, prospects. As opposed to being good baseball players. That's what I see a lot from young kids. They ask me questions. How do I improve my 60 time? How do I get a better launch angle? How do I, I say, whoa, 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 let's step back a second. How do you become a better baseball player? What do you got on
1: that? Okay. Uh, well, I thought you had one more statement in there. How you become a better baseball player is what I call little league mentality. Yeah. You, you go to the park every day. When you're little, you're six, seven, eight years old. You go to the park. You play catch. You you play all day long, and you can't get enough of it. You play in your your front yard, your back yard, and your vacant lot, and you just love the game. And it's 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 baseball as opposed to you hit on it. You know, uh, we're trying to turn ourselves into a prospect. And don't get me wrong, it's great to improve your speed your arm strength, launch angle, whatever the latest thing is. I mean, you want to work on your game, but at the end of the day, you want to improve your mental side. You want to improve your love for the game. And you talked about technology. And I don't want to be that guy that, you know, is like, well, he's old school and he hadn't kept up with the times and all that. I would like to think I'm a combination guy. You always want to learn. You always want to get better. You always want to figure out the things that are gonna, you know, help you to improve. But at the end of the day, baseball's baseball. Don't reinvent it. Don't overthink it. And technology's great, but you know how I am. I it took me 15 minutes to figure out how to get on your podcast. Yeah, I was, punch, I was punching the wrong buttons on <laughs> the phone, and I'm like pulling over, and I'm like, dude, this can't be that hard. Well, anyway, finally I'm here. And I think you're hitting on a topic today that is priceless because that's kind of where the game's at today. And there's, you know, there's controversy is probably too strong, but there is a split opinion on, you know, the game as it moves forward. Where, Where do you see things from your view today?
0: Yeah. And one thing, and to be honest with you, it's something that you told me a long time ago. When I was very young in the game in that Wichita State, I was a hitter and I would sit and bring Kim and meetings. And I would, I picked everybody's brain. You know that about me. Like I didn't yes. care whether you're the pitching coach, you were the water boy, whoever it was, I was picking guys brains 24 seven to try to, to try to become a better baseball player. One thing that always stuck with me that which, uh, that you were a big fan of was, you know, how do we, how do we go from point a to point B? How do we, uh, analyze this situation? How do we learn on a continual basis? And that, that, that really struck home with me to think, even if you don't agree with what a guy says, even if you don't agree with what they're doing, how do we learn from them to, to put it into our game? Because there's always a cue. There's always one little thing that they have that might be kind of that gateway to open your mind up to something different. Or get gets you to the next level, right? Or get gets you thinking a different way to make what you want happen. And that's what you did for a lot of guys. All you did was start making them think a little bit differently. And then all of a sudden, it just happened.
1: Well, that's what, you know, you're talking about the meetings. And I call them flow. It's like at the start of every practice, we'd come 15 minutes early. And the pitchers would have a meeting. And part of it was, how's your arm? Do you want a bullpen today? Here's our plan. You know, here, here, here's, you know, what we're going to do today. But then we'd get into what I considered to be the fun part. I mean, there were some meat and potatoes, you know, like, right, here's how you are going to eliminate the running game. And, and I'd have three or four bullet points a day. And then I'd turn it over to the pitching staff. And I think the thing that made me the most proud was I had tons of position guys position players set in and they didn't have to because I wanted to make it fun. And I'd get off of what I call my brain. And by the end I had like 400 and some bullet points and they're just things that accumulated over the years and, and things, you know, to make people think like you said, and, and my stuff, yeah, it's for pitchers, but it was also for baseball players, position players, but I think it's life. I think it's things that are going to move your needle in life, but they're the mental side. And that's what's always gonna
0: Yeah. And, I, I'm and not opposed, one. So, I'm, one I'm thing, another thing.
1: Their game from a physical standpoint, but the mental side is going to be the difference maker.
0: Always is. Another thing that you taught me. And I, I hate to allude that Brent Kemnitz taught me all this stuff about baseball. But I love it. Keeps, the more like, people you can tell the Here's I one to. thing that i always took away from you on top of learning all the time was you have to understand the information that you're getting the the point that you were making earlier is about the technology in the game right there are are some really freaking smart dudes that are are they know physics they know geometry i don't know that i'm sorry I, i i don't know physics that well i don't know i know geometry like a triangle you have to have all the parts and you can major them and they have to come up to X degrees, right? You have to have 90 degrees, 90 degrees, 90 degrees, 90 degrees to make uh, 360 degrees, right? Other than that,
1: well, you have to have four times 90 to make 360. Exactly,
0: whatever it is. Triangle. I don't Triangle. understand when they say, hey, Andy, you have to have a spin rate on your curveball of what, however many revolutions per second, whatever they whatever they break down to, I've listened, and you've said it time and time again, you've listened to the smartest guys on planet Earth about baseball, and you give them credit. Like, holy crap, you are super smart. Like, that is amazing that you could even break that down and analyze that in that way. How do we get it across to a kid, though, (laughs) that's trying to play the game?
1: Well, here's the point I always made. And, And I alluded to this story. I was speaking out in California in the 90s, and I was going to be one of the featured speakers. And the guy that spoke right ahead of me, and I won't say his name, he had written like 10 books on baseball and all kinds of stuff. And I, la- after I heard him speak, I was like, that's the smartest dude I've ever heard in my life. I have no idea what he just said. Exactly. So what, what we have going for us as coaches is, you know, everybody's different kinds of smart. I, I think I'm more street smart. But it, it, what matters is what you can get across to whoever you're teaching, coaching, whether it's a five-year-old, a, a nine-year-old, it's a high school kid, or a or big leaguer. The only thing that matters is what they pick up. So you better make it simple, you better make it applicable, and something that they can grasp. And it it always made me laugh when I'd hear those guys. And it's like, and then they're selling books and videos and all this stuff and everybody's running out to buy it. And I promise you, those people had no idea what the guy was talking about. And then they're going to try to take it as a coach and share it with their 13 year old. Big leaguers wouldn't have gotten that wouldn't understand that. So that's why I've always had the approach I have, which is simple make it applicable, make it fun, and make sure guys understand it.
0: You couldn't be said better. What you have to understand as a a player, as a dad, as a coach, as whatever, you're only relevant with what you can digest and actually put into your game or help put into a kid's game. It doesn't matter if you know that a spin rate of however many uh, uh, revolutions per second Gives you a better curveball if you don't know how to apply it. And I go back to this, Brent. So everybody's, a lot of guys are big into quotes. I like quotes to a point. It, without success, there's not failure, or without failure, there's not success. Right? Pretty standard right. quote. Right. I always break it down and say, okay, everybody knows that. Everybody knows unless you fail at something, you're not going to succeed. What does that even mean? How do we apply that to our life and how do we move forward with it? That's the big question because a lot of guys will say all day long, oh, you're missing high and arm side. Well, quit missing high and arm side. Okay, cool. How do I do that?
1: You know, you know my favorite one? When people were like up and away, up and away, up and away, up and away, you know what I'd tell them, hold on to the ball longer.
0: Boom. Beautiful. <laughs> That's the most beautiful thing. I've heard from a coach in a long time. Yeah, Here's a I remedy mean, to your problem. Come on, dude. Hold on <laughs> to the ball a little bit longer. Still yeah.
1: So you figure it out. Like uh, it, Now, I am going to I am gonna give you some love here since you've been giving me plenty of love. And, and it goes back to what you were saying. It's like you would learn from pitchers and you would learn it, it from setting in these pitching meetings. You know one of my big deals with pitchers? And, and I'd say this to them all the time. I'd say, okay, you want to become a better pitcher? You want to figure out how to get bona fide hitters out? Don't go talk to other pitchers. Go talk to the best hitters you know that have faced you and find out why every time you throw a fastball, they crush it. Find out how every time you throw a changeup, they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be. I used to do that with you all the time. I'd say, okay talk to me about this guy this guy and this guy you know the message you told me every time you would say dude you have got to get your guys to understand as hitters we can't see the change up yeah if you throw if you have good arm speed you do all the things we all talk about keep the same delivery same arm speed you just do what you do you know you change your grip you jam it a hair you can kill your wrist whatever you do to kill speed on your change up and I was always a like twelve mile an hour plus yeah. experience speed. But you would say, you can't see that because it's all about timing, you know, hitting's timing, pitching's destroying it. But to get to my point, it's not only a stress to throw, you know, to make sure they understand, hey, you you need a good change up, but it's like talk to hitters. Yeah. I always I always told pitchers that go talk to the best hitters you know and they're the ones that will say dude I was, I was having lunch with one of our former players today a great player at Wichita State Danny Keeley and he's thinking about playing in this NBC tournament that's coming up in Wichita and he went out and saw some guys last night and he had been out of pro ball for a year so he was thinking oh man I don't it's gonna take a little bit to, to get my timing but he said, no, all these guys were tipping their pitches. They, they were showing what they were doing. So I, I got to jump on them. Yeah. So my deal was go to Bonafide hitters and find out what they see. They're the ones that will improve your game the most.
0: And I will say to any kid out there, anybody that's listening to this, this is one of the strongest things as a, a young pitcher you can do to improve your game. Uh, I can think of two examples off the top of my head at Wichita State in particular, since we're on that topic. One
1: is Tim Kelly. I knew you were going to say him. You always told me, which, which I called him Snowman, you'd always say, hey, tell Tim Kelly we cannot see his changeup Yep. He, he, as a left-handed hitter. And he'd throw some right-on-right changeups too, but he's a big right-hander, and I would use you as an example all the time with Tim Kelly. And, and you, you would tell me, make sure he understands what a great pitch is.
0: Okay, so we're back with Brent. The topic was Andy Dirks talking to a couple of Wichita State players, one of them Tim, Ke- Tim Kelly, uh, about, especially for your right-handed pitchers, facing left-handed hitters, because that's, that's a big part of the game a good left-handed hitter the best way to disrupt his whole game isn't throwing him a nasty slider it's not throwing him that nasty curveball what is it Brent what what is a, the best pitch if you could throw that left-handed hitter as a right-hander
1: well i'm going to say first of all you've got to establish it by being able to establish your fastball i say that Correct. Spot, i say a spotted fastball is still the best pitch in baseball 100% but you got to spot it and they got to respect that but once you worked off your fastball and you're able to spot it and you're working off the plate, so you're working both sides of the plate. But once you get to that point, if you throw a straight change up, and, and honestly, I like the one with four-seam rotation the best because mm-hmm. it looks just like mm-hmm. your fastball. They can't see it. And it just takes the air out of your bat. And say, you know, you're a guy, everybody throws 90-plus now, but say you throw 90. But, but you know that they've got that good changeup. Well, you've just enhanced the velo on your fastball. 100%. And and they it's tough for them to square it up because, you know, all the great hitting cuts, well, hitting's timing. Well, my big deal was we got to destroy that timing. And the pitch that's going to do that is an established fastball. And then the fastball look alike. And I'm going to say the four seam changeup. That is so valuable. We would have workouts in the fall where we just go fastball changeup. And I think it blew guys' minds that they could survive doing that, if if they could throw to both sides of the plate, two and a four seam fastball, and then the changeup. And and as a hitter, you know that that would just get in your world all day long. And and I can't tell you how many times you would come up to me and say, "Make sure these guys understand that's the toughest pitch for us to hit."
0: And a, a good example is so Larry Swanson was on the show the other day. Greg Maddox, arguably probably the craftiest guy, the most creative guy on the mound in our in generations, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Went from throwing hard to not throwing hard, still getting guys out. He was yeah. so good with the changeup. up uh, Larry uh, 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 Mazzoni, whatever, you know, the dude that would rock back and forth. Yeah, you know, he's – Leo he Mazzoni, yeah. He goes out there and says, hey, Maddox. Uh, two two count. You know, I just, I'm out here to give you a break. Maddox said, Not a big deal. I'm about to throw my, my, uh, straight changeup. This left handed hitter is going to pop the ball up in foul territory right up there, right behind third base. Uh, just in foul territory. It's not a big deal. I already know what's going to happen. That's how much confidence and conviction he had in his changeup. He yes. knew that the, I'm about to get this guy out in front. He's going to pop this ball up. Uh, behind the third base, uh, behind the third baseman in foul territory for an out. Yes, if anybody could could respect anything that anybody's ever done of all time to say that the changeup is an extremely effective pitch. Let's go, guys. It's not about throwing a power slider right out the gate. We're talking about twelve-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds. You got to have a little bit of arm speed to throw a good changeup. You don't even have to have, you just need it to look, throw it like you throw your fastball and find a way to get 10 mile an hour off of it. Right?
1: Yes. Yeah, yes. And and there's so many layers to what you just said. Greg Maddox was one of my favorite guys to analyze because like you said, coming out of high school, I think he was from Vegas, power arm guy. That's how he was a high draft, low nineties, you know, arm worked all the stuff, although he wasn't a real big guy. But then later in his career, he was like 86, 88. And what I'm going to say is the best catcher, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the best catcher, receiver in the history of Major League Baseball, Charlie O'Brien. He's a Wichita State guy, great friend. He caught all these Cy Young Ward guys, 14, 15 of them. He has the book Cy Young Catcher. It's must-reading for anybody that loves baseball, especially pitchers and catchers. But he caught Maddox, and I always said, dude, what makes Maddox go? And the same thing, he said, he can throw any pitch, any count, and he's got what I always call the confidence at the end. You release the ball with that confidence, and it's got that little jump, that little hop right at the end. And I swear he'd make mistakes, and guys would pop him up because he had that life right at the end. And then he had the fastball lookalike, the changeup, and Charlie said exactly the same thing. He doesn't make mistakes. He's got late life. He goes fastball changeup. And it, Charlie would be back there catching him in a rocking chair. But he's a perfect example of you don't have to throw hard, although he did at the start of his career. But he was a Hall of Fame pitcher. And and I'd say at least the second half of his career, he was more of a control command guy than just a straight power guy. But but pitched in a true sense of the word, took Varying speeds off of his uh, fastball. It just made it look easy. I always used to say, and you can throw Tom Glavin in that too. I used to say, hey, truck drivers that are, they stop at you know, to get coffee or an energy drink or whatever, and they're watching TV. Those guys make it so look easy. Like everybody's like, you know what? I think I want to be a major league pitcher. I think that'd be be a good line of work for me. That's how easy those guys made it look.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's. I think the biggest thing, and this goes back to anything you do in life, they never had every single pitch that they threw, every single count that they were in, they threw that pitch with conviction. They threw that pitch. They knew at the end of the day, this pitch is going where I want it to. This is what I'm doing. They never faltered. It was not like a question of, Okay, we're we have a 2-2 count. Maddox already knew. I'm throwing the change up and I'm about to get this guy out. Yes. It wasn't it and wasn't you? like, well, maybe I should throw the fastball so I don't go 3-2. It was I'm throwing the change up because this is going to this is the pitch that I'm about to throw to get this guy out. The conviction that these guys do it with is at a different level. It's so much higher. Yeah. It's the same way okay, Tiger Woods playing golf in his prime. I'm using the pitching wedge because I'm about to put this thing on the green. No, no questions asked. Like it's it's not like, okay, well, I'm gonna do this because somebody else wants me to do it. I'm gonna do this because a coach says I need to do this. They found a way to have conviction, to have that determination with what they did, same way as a hitter. Well, I'm about I'm I'm here with two strikes. I'm about to shorten up and grind down on this at bat. And if this guy gets me out, that's okay. But you know what I'm going to do? Every single pitch he throws me that's nasty, I'm going to foul off. I'm going to lay off the tough ones. I'm going to foul off the really tough ones. And I'm going to hit one when he makes a mistake. Yes. Like, it's a conviction. It's a mindset. It's, It's your purpose. It's what you're doing it with that separates guys.
1: And the beautiful thing about what you just said, and I'm, gl- I'm thrilled that you brought up the golf example. This carries over into all sports. I had a guy that he, he would have been right before you at Wichita State, a kid named Paul Miller. He was All-Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year in 2006. That t- 16 under Mark Turgeon. We came to Wichita State as a pitcher. We ended up specializing in basketball. But he said, hey, dude, I thought of you every time I shot free throws. He said, confidence at the end.
0: You know, we all talk
1: about shooter's touch and the feel and all that. And you just mentioned it in golf. You mentioned it as a hitter. But I don't care what sport you play or, honestly, whatever you do, if you don't do it with conviction. And the term I use, like I say, is confidence at the end. I started using that term in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, every coach in the world talks about confidence. But for me, it was that little touch right at the end. Conviction, you use that term, which fits right in. But it's belief. It's knowing. It's it's having no doubt. It's like having no negative energy in your brain, and that's everything.
0: And the beauty of what you just said, and I hate to, I feel like we're 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 just like two peas in a pod, just banging back and forth. Because what I just heard you say was, you have a, a, a way to give them that conviction, and it's finishing at the end. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's measurable. Kind of- And the biggest part of this program, Brent, everything I try to drive home to people is we're not about not giving you something that's going to get you there. Because a lot of guys can say, hey, Andy, you need to have conviction with what you do. All right, cool. What do I need to do to have conviction? You just said it right there. As a pitcher, it's finishing at the end. Finish your pitch at the end. That's your conviction. That's like, okay, I'm coming set. I got my grip, and I know at the end of this pitch I'm about to bong you. You know what I mean? Like, boom, it, at the it, end.
1: It's like the ball knows. If you, I, I talk to pitchers all the time, and it would be like a 3-1 count, the catcher will call something, they go ahead and throw it, and then a guy goes yard, and they're annoyed at the catcher. I said, don't be mad at the catcher. You had the chance to shake. And not only that, you better throw every single pitch like you believe it. Because if you have that little alligator arm where you don't throw it with that same kind of conviction, it flattens out. And I swear those balls get crushed. But yeah. if you throw them with that little flip, that little, you see it going there. Those pitches get there. As a hitter, then, I
0: see it. I yeah. can see that. I see when guys are throwing with conviction. And that's, that, oh, yeah. as a hitter, that's a tough at bat. I know when guys when guys aren't. That's what I'm that's when I'm high leg kicking that son of a bitch and just going at it, right? Like I'm like Well that's where you crack
1: I'm, me up because I'm licking my lips. Hitters, the great hitters, it seems like they're up there just toying with a guy fouling off pitches on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and it's like the great pitchers I swear now I, I think Charlie told me this. Don't hold I think that Maddox would get behind in the count on purpose and, and, and like, go five inches off the plate, five inches off the plate. Now he's behind 2-0, and it's like, oh, now I got the guy exactly where I want him because he's look, he's now looking fastball, not necessarily on Maddox because by the end of, well, most of his career, they would have said, okay, I still have no idea what he's going to do. yeah, throw. But it, it was like you're toying with dudes. They're really great ones. It's like they're toying with guys, and they're so fond of watch. so much pleasure. And I'm not only – you talk about Tiger Woods, but you can talk about great basketball players. You can talk about Steph Curry. You can talk about Jordan. I mean, those guys, it's poetry. It is. And the same thing, and what we're talking about, obviously, is baseball, but the, the great hitters. I, I was so I, – Perfect. I, had so much I got a perfect
0: example. So, Miguel Cabrera – the year he won the Triple Crown, I was I was uh, privileged to play with him that year, right? It was the most unbelievable feats. I've never, like, you can't even imagine. You can't put into words what this guy was doing on a daily basis.
1: They're at such a level. Talk to me about the level he was at.
0: So, Which, basically, basically, were- he would get into the box. And sometimes he would, the first pitch, he would just stand there and not even do anything. And just look at the pitcher, and the pitcher would throw a ball like uh, five inches outside. He already knew before he got in the box that this dude screwed. <laughs> like the guy knew he was screwed. He could tell by his face, and he would tell me sometimes, "Hey, Andy, watch this. This guy's—he's already screwed. He's already screwed." And I was hitting—I was hitting at the time, the year he won the triple crown. I was hitting two hole. For the Tigers, right. you want to talk about a good spot to hit in? They <laughs> threw fastballs down the middle because they didn't want me. They they, they couldn't walk me. If they walked right. me, their 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 managers would send them to AAA. That's just right. life. Like you walk right. the guy before Cabrera that year, you're an idiot. Like at least make him earn it, right? So I would be yeah. on first base or whatever, or he would say, "Hey, hey, Dirks, Dirks." just get on first base. I got you. I'd say, okay, all right, cool. And he would just stand up there and sometimes he would lift his leg. And I knew when, when Miggy was ready to hit, it was a whole different like aura. I could tell when he was just going to take a pitch or when he was ready to hit, when that dude was ready to hit, it was like a tidal wave getting ready to strike a baseball. I'm not shitting you, dude. It was like, the most controlled tidal wave you've ever seen. And it was scary for me for the pitcher that, 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 yeah. that was facing him because not only is he balanced and everything's under control and ready, he's strong, man. He yeah. would get he would hit a ball, and being an outfielder, the way I play outfield, uh, I, I get serious jumps on the ball, so I do it on the base pass too. Like, I would yeah. see him take the ball – out of the catcher's glove and, like, manipulate it. You know how most guys hit a ball down the right field line that slices? Yeah. His would just be, like, backspun, line drives, like you would see on the pole side.
1: So hitting was that easy for him that it was almost like he was just that. It,
0: it wasn't even like it was that easy. It was like he knew. he knew that regardless of who was on the mound – Mariano Rivera, he made Mariano Rivera his little play doll. Like, oh that's, my God. That, that year, he was the most – it was just stupid. Guys would throw balls in off the plate, he'd pull them for a homer. Guys would throw balls five inches off. Like, if Maddox faced Cabrera that year, Maddox would throw that ball five inches off, Cabrera would hit that thing for a homer on the opposite field. It was just Boy. like – the confidence his- level he had, he ran with. And I, that's what, what I love about he, it.
1: When you would pick his brain on hitting, other than obviously natural ability, what were his bullet points? What were his keys? What did he tell you? So
0: this is something I'll tell every kid. Miguel Cabrera never hit off the tee. He thought the tee slowed him down. He liked front flips and, and BP. Wow. He said He said, if the ball's not coming at you, how can you emulate a swing when the ball's just sitting there? Because the right. ball's never sitting there in the game. He was all 100%. about game mode. Like this guy was so about game mode. Like everything he he lived and breathed was about how do I get better in the game? Not about how am I gonna impress a scout or how am I gonna get better in practice or this is what I need to do like everybody else. All he ever thought about was how do I improve my game?
1: status and try to make it real as co- how it's going to be in the game that's right
0: so what he would do his routine he'd go down to the cage and big strong guy a lot of people don't realize how big some of these guys are and and with that said dustin Petroy is not a big strong guy jose Altuve is, They but they all think the same way right right they all have that same mindset miguel just happened to have that mindset and be a big strong dude that could hit the ball everywhere what his biggest right. thing was, when when you load to go to the baseball, don't ever let a pitcher get you out in front. So you never want to be out in front because he knew his strength was staying inside himself. And if he got beat, he's still going to get a base hit to right. And I think right. every single good hitter, and he learned that from Maggio, Verduzco. Okay. So every good hitter knows. Your fastball is never going to beat me. The, the way you're going to beat me is by getting me off balance and out in front. And that speaks, this, thing. that speaks volumes to all the kids now. I'm talking about the best hitters in the game. Their biggest concern was being out in front, not trying to catch up with your fastball.
1: Yeah, they don't want to get beat with velo, so they're they start quick. Yeah, so 100 don't want to get embarrassed.
0: hundred is no problem for these guys. This is what I'm saying. Right. You can throw a freaking 100, and they'll, they will P-rod you to right field all day long. Where they don't want to get beat, where they know, you, they want to get jammed, if anything. They right. want to get jammed because that means, and we all know as hitters, if you're getting jammed, it's okay. Your pass still there. Everything's right. You're just a little late. Right. Where we hate being is at the end of the bat or out in front or on our front foot.
1: Which I hope you pitchers are listening. That's where the changeup comes into play. It messes up their timing.
0: Because we all we all can hit a fastball. And there's always going to be a point. okay, where a good hitter, if you're facing a good hitter, there's a difference between a good hitter and a lucky hitter. Right. A good hitter everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, I I beat him with a fastball and he got a base hit over the shortstop's head or over the second baseman's head. That's good hitting. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like, if it's a soft liner over the head, you're lucky that he didn't time that up right because that would have been a double in the gap or a home run. Right. Now, when a guy hits the ball off the end of the bat and it goes a mile high, what are you giving your defense a chance to do? Make a play on the ball.
1: Well, yeah, they're going to run that one down.
0: But, like what you say, and this is this all goes back to all your stuff that you teach. Your defense, if you want to be a great pitcher, you need to be on the mound with the presence, delivering the ball over and over again around the strike zone, making everybody know, okay, this ball is going to maybe be in play. This ball is maybe going to be in play, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. I want – here, here's one point I really want to drive home. As a pitcher, have pace. Nobody wants you taking 20, 25 seconds between pitches, walking around the mound. Get up on the mound, have pace, and attack the strike zone. Everybody loves that. Pace.
0: It's huge. And that makes guys like me play good
1: defense. Well, that's what, yes. You, now, you were a guy that's locked in, but a lot of guys. They get bored out there. And, and and think about it. When dudes are walking people and then they're taking forever in between pitches, this is play because it's just painful. Yeah. And honestly, and that's the other thing. That's when up our start squeezing. you, because everybody gets out of rhythm.
0: Yeah. And, and that's everything, that's, that's one thing. Sport, rhythm. These young, these young coaches and these young players and the, everybody in this, in this game now, especially in college. What I saw in college, and it just started happening kind of uh, when I was getting ready to leave, is they would be getting signs from the dugout. And I can remember being a senior at Wichita State, stepping into the box, getting ready to hit. Everything's good to go. The pitcher's ready. I'm ready. The umpire's ready. The catcher's looking into the dugout, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Then I'm step out because I'm savvy enough to understand like, I'm not going to just sit there and stagnate myself. Like, there's a timing. Yes. There's a rhythm to this game. You step in the box. You get ready. The pitcher gets ready. He gets a sign. All right, let's roll. Right? There's And I, that's the, the timing in your brain, everything that happens. What happens is these coaches are sending me these signals, and the catcher doesn't know what they are. So then he looks
1: back and doesn't know what pitch to throw. He looks down his wrist. He doesn't have it right. <laughs> what what that turns him in? It turns him into a robot. And it also turns the pitcher into a robot. What you got to do is think the game. Let your catcher call the game. Then he has to learn the game. He has to. You figure That's out how- tendencies. You check out adjustments a hitter's making during the AB that you can't see from the dugout. And your pitcher also has the ability to shake. So he's he's looking at these same tendencies. And you also have pace. I'm a huge guy on the catcher calling the game, and I agree with you. It's turned. It's especially at the college level. It's flipped. They all look over the dugout. Never been a fan of that. Never will be.
0: And it's called micromanaging. So it's yes. the same way with the base with the swing. So basically, what you're telling these kids is, I don't have enough confidence in you to be a good baseball player. I don't think that what you you know in baseball is ever going to be relevant. You need to be babysat your whole life. The thing that Wichita State always produced because you guys gave the players freedom and accountability was big league players. Charlie O'Brien. Do you think Charlie O'Brien –
1: We had six six big league catchers. Yeah. And and there's a reason. And and scouts wanted to draft our catchers because they were forced to learn the game. And and I always took pride that the pitchers – you know, that I had great relationships, but I always said, you know what? I probably had even better relationships with the catchers. And I talked to Doug Mirabelli today and, and Ricky Rona. And I mean, you could go on and on. We had these big league catchers and you just mentioned Charlie O'Brien. And I talked about him earlier. Charlie was a student of the game. He learned the game and he took great pride in that. And I don't think I'm crazy in saying he's the best receiver ever. And all those guys, you talk about Clemens, you talk about Gooden, you talk about Maddox. All those guys wanted Charlie, yeah, because he knew the game, he knew how to work them, and he demanded perfection. And he wasn't afraid to call them out if they needed it. He didn't baby him. He got in their ass, and they love that. And that's what a bona fide catcher will do.
0: So let me ask you this: Do you think uh, uh, when uh, Benji, uh, when Molina was a uh, kid, the coach was calling the pitches? Of course not. Wait, exactly. He was, the
1: the game, right? he was on the sandlot.
0: He was on the sandlot playing ball.
1: You just you play little league mentality. And the name I didn't even mention Eric Wedge. You know, yes, yeah. catch for '89 national championship team, knew the game. And he, he was like you talk about a guy that would take charge and you know went on to I think he was two thousand and seven American League Manager of the Year. He's in the Toronto organization now, but a true baseball guy. And and we can't lose that. That's why I hope these messages that we're putting out will resonate with people because they're everything.
0: This is the game as a whole is still innocent the people is what manipulates the game right all the people the technology all the stuff that people think is relevant what we need to be doing what and the sad thing is a few people can manipulate the game in a huge way baseball as a whole right now and I always people have heard it time and time again from me we went from the steroid era okay That was an era, okay, it happened, let's get over it. Now, people always want to get that advantage. They always want to find a way to bring other people into the game. Other people want to get into the game because it is an elite crowd. It's an elite crowd to be uh, uh, top of the game in baseball. These These smart dudes have been manipulating and tricking guys into saying, well, we have things like launch angle and spin rate and all this different stuff that I think is gonna make you a better better team. Come on and the guys buy into it because everybody else is doing it. I need to do it to at least say at least show face to say, "Well, we're doing that too
1: well, and you get that from old school and I got a lot of old school baseball guys that are in the game, and I always ask them I say okay what's what's and, and I they don't necessarily like old school. They say, well, I don't really consider myself old school. I, 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 am a disciple of the game from back in the day. And that term gets thrown out a lot. I like to think I'm a progressive thinker, but, the, but the term you get is all the, 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 technology versus old school. And several years ago, it's like, you know what? It's about 50, 50. It's probably a lot, probably 80, 20 more technology but even the old school guys, they'll say, no, nah, I, I don't like the stuff, but you better have those guys on your staff, the analytics guys or whatever, just to make, you know, just to use what they do have. And I do think there's a place for it as long as it doesn't overtake the game and you use the old school core values to still move the game forward.
0: Yeah, and, and I agree with you. There's always a place for – trying to find a, a way to better yourself. My thing is, people don't even tap into the things that are actually going to make them a better player. Most guys don't. Some guys do. The guys that do make it. It's between the ears. It's what are you thinking about on a daily basis? What Like all the stuff we talked about with the change up, with all this, what, what people get caught up in is – I need a spin rate on my curveball of X, Y, and Z. Okay. How's your fastball location? <laughs>
1: exactly. Hey, here's here's one that I heard happen and I, I never played in the big leagues. You did. One of my one of my good buddies who's who's a front office guy in the big leagues said that an old school manager drew the line. I think he was talking about Jim Leland, maybe, when guys were after ABs, they were running back into the clubhouse looking at them on video during the game. Mm-hmm. Did that happen? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, guys, guys would that? strike out. The umpire would call them out.
0: They wanted to reaffirm that they got screwed. And so and Leland, Leland would say, and... what, and explicit, what's that even matter right now? What's so that even matter? Back, next time, next time, get a little closer to the plate. Like he thought so simple. Like his concepts were so simple and so relevant. And you're talking about a guy that took a a, a lackluster Pirates team to the World Series, took Detroit to the World Series, won a World Series in Miami. What you know, like He's
1: he's a Hall of Fame guy.
0: Yeah, he on a daily basis he kept it so simple, so minute. You didn't have to think about a lot when you play for a guy like that. I love that. Those,
1: those he was those with, are the guys everybody loves playing for.
0: He 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 would stay out of your way. If he saw something, he would say it in the simplest way possible. Hey Dirks. Try to stay back a little bit on that.
1: Yeah,
0: and Chris. I and it's like
1: the God, I got it.
0: Cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it was never like well, what you need to do here is he's going to throw you the two-two changeup or the, the, the no, he'd say, stay back a little bit. Hey, it looks like looks like you're you're going out a little bit. Just stay back a little bit. Cool, easy adjustment to make. Like I'm 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 getting antsy. I'm trying to go at the baseball too hard. Just stay back a little bit.
1: You and know, all the guys, slow my mind I, down. I would, yeah, exactly. And you just hit it right there when the game slows down for people. That's when they're their best. But all the guys that went out into pro ball and all my years at Wichita State, and I was in baseball for 38, I'd talk to the position players and the pitchers. And I'd say, all right, what do you got for me? Because I I don't think you ever quit learning. And there was good tidbits along the way. But I'll tell you this right now. The guys, I'm talking managers, hitting coaches and pitching coaches, their favorite guys, and this is also guys that played in the game for a long time, were guys that obviously knew the game but got out of the way. They didn't complicate it. Yeah. They didn't too much in your head. Those are the guys that they all didn't like playing for.
0: Yep. And that's that goes back to everything that Get Your Game rights about. I see the value in separating the, the thoughts from let's just make it achievable tasks. Let's take your skill set, whatever it is. You got your skill. In between your skill and and a task. There's some focus, so we have to learn the right focus, and then there's a task that we need to achieve, and then there's a result. So based on your skill set, your focus, and whatever task it is, we can achieve a result. That's all we're trying to do. It's so simple. I think we get so caught up in what are we trying to do? How do we try to make this kid uh, hit better? How do we try to make this kid pitch better? as opposed to what do we actually the kid needs to just learn how to control his fastball okay let's start from there and work backwards so the result is we want this kid to be able to work both sides of the plate let's go to the task okay he needs to control his fastball let's go to his let's go to his, his skill set is it a kid that can throw a fastball over the plate all right so what's the determining factor between his skill set, a task and a result. It's the focus. It's the mindset. It's what he's thinking about, what he's doing, make it repeatable, make it easy, make it something he can achieve on a daily basis. And he's going to be successful.
1: And he needs to know his own corrections. Don't, don't use that crutch of, well, you know, I'm not comfortable. blah, blah. Well, that may be true, but know what your corrections are, fix them, keep them simple. And
0: that's an independent ball player. And we preach that every day of the week. You have to learn how to be an independent ball player. This I, is love why, that. I love that analogy. Because we don't always get to pick our coaches. We don't get to pick our dads. We don't get to pick our coaches. We don't get to pick anybody around us at times. We have to learn to digest information at a certain rate to implement into our game. Simple, simple, simple. If you have talent, there is no reason on planet Earth you shouldn't succeed to the level your talent will take you.
1: And and let me add one thing. That's, that's absolutely true. But as parents, teachers, coaches, what we're doing on this podcast, we've got to make it where people still love going to the ballpark. It's fun. It's a little kid's game. And that's what's going to make people continue to improve, and they can't wait to go to the park and play.
0: Love it. Every part about that attached to the challenge, attached to the process, right? You're not going to be – I love what you just said because this is the reason. Most people think their kid's in high school, he's going to be in the big leagues tomorrow. Their kid's in Little League, he's going to be playing for a D1 team tomorrow. No, 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 no. Let's work with what we got right now. Enjoy the heck out of it. Enjoy Enjoy the
1: journey, term i use all the time enjoy the journey love going to the park don't make the ride home for your kid painful
0: and a lot of guys do a lot of people do
1: it's like i know one thing i'm not playing baseball next summer i'm gonna grind through this one because they won't let me quit don't be that guy yes teach them the game yes talk about the game and and, uh, you know if they were dogging it or, or were lazy or whatever yeah you gotta let them know you can't do that but don't make it so painful that you're, the kids it, – it's like you're living through your kid, you know, whether you win or lose. And it's like you're re- reliving your childhood through him. Let him enjoy the experience.
0: Yep. Your kid might the, – the best part about it is maybe going and just hanging out with his buddies. And that's okay. It is okay. Be okay with that. Yes. Be okay with maybe the best part of his whole summer. Was you taking him there so he could hang out with his buddies or she could hang out with her girlfriends or whatever it is.
1: When I was nine or 10 years old, if we won, we got malts. If we lost, we got a little teeny Coke. So that big malt was a big motivation for me. (laughs) Hey man, we won
0: again. Exactly.
1: (laughs) It's like, yay,
0: sweet. You you can't, there's no way. And I always go back to the days of the kid getting on his bicycle Throwing his glove on the handlebars, putting his bat uh, between the shirt and the back, and then riding down to the little sandlot to go play with his buddies is over to a point, right? Yeah, that's
1: my favorite analogy. And then I throw in that they got their, you know, their little Ty Cobb rookie cards in the spokes. So they don't know it at the (laughs) time, but they're losing thousands and thousands (laughs) of dollars. But but that's just all part of that little league mentality back in the day. Yep.
0: Loving every second of it. Yes. Yes. Here's every, every time here, hear, brr, it's like a dollar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea how much money you're losing. You got your little Mickey Mantle rookie card, and it's like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but, but innocence is childhood. Let's be honest. Huh. Childhood should be innocent. With with uh, some direction, all we're trying to do let's let's give these kids some direction. If they want to be really good baseball players, let's focus on that. But if they want to be really good uh, uh, at playing piano, or if they are really good at at being a mathematician, whatever it is, let's focus on those things and yeah. find ways to support these kids to benefit them with whatever skill set they possess.
1: Whatever their passion is.
0: Yeah, what their passion is, let's let's just dominate their passion and find the best ways to support these kids moving forward because that, that's all we need to do. We need to support these kids, show them we got their back. Obviously, if, if we don't want them be, to be lazy, make them work hard, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, support them, love them, cherish them. Cherish the moments because they're fleeting. No question. They go quick. All right, Brent. You know, I love hey, having man. you on. You demand. I think we covered a, a decent amount of topics for this episode. We'll be back with you, Andy Dirks and Brent Kimnitz, on the Get Your Game Right podcast. Uh, uh, leave us some comments. Whatever you guys want to know about, we, we would love to talk about. Uh, you're talking about picking a guy's brain, 38-year pitching coach at Wichita State, winning his pitching coach of all time, and then me, Andy Dirks, who hit a little bit. Love you I'm guys. Right. Everything you can do for us. Uh, uh, just share us, like us, and we'll keep doing this thing. Thanks, Print.
1: Hey, my pleasure. I enjoyed it, as always.
0: Later.